J-Squad. Don't be fucking rude. Are you kidding me? Hi, and welcome to Running Unopposed, the number 144th educational podcast in Spain, according to an email I got. Wait, actually? Yes, that is an actual email I received. So, so we're congratulations of- to our, I imagine, one Spanish listener. I, 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 I've been saying this for a long time. We really have to lock up the demographic of uh, Barcelona inhabiting school teachers between the ages of 24 and 29. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I think this is the first time we've ever mentioned Spain on the podcast. So I think it is literally one guy, and I think I know who it is. Who is it? Uh, it's a guy in the Cornish Beatty Discord who's Spanish. Oh, I, thought I think it's I was, literally just him. I was really hoping you'd say like Pedro Sanchez or Pedro Sanchez. Or our listener, please email the podcast. Or wait, who's the guy who runs Vox? I hope it's not him. Uh, oh, fuck. What's the guy who runs Fox's name? I don't remember. Salvador Abascal, I think is his name. Yeah. No, that's a Mexican wait. politician. Yeah, wait. Gavrilo, can you say something? Yeah, I can say whatever you want okay. to say. <laughs> that's right. So that's our surprise for this week. We have our first guest, uh, our second Gabriel, in a way, kind and of. our first European politician. Wait, it's and- not Salvador Abascal. It's Santiago Abascal. Yes, it is. So we are going to be covering Vojislav Šešelić. I think uh, that that was pretty bad. <laughs> uh, okay, let me let me let me jump in there. Uh, it's pronounced okay. Vojislav Šešelić. Uh, Vojislav Šešelić. Yeah, it's not a sound you have in English, but okay, I'm going to be saying it a lot throughout the episode. So hopefully, you learn. All right. Would you mind uh, typing that name into the chat just so sure. I know how it's spelled? I mean, it's in the script. <laughs> I don't have like the this. script. Yeah. Oh yeah, I never sent him the script. Sure. That well, that's actually good. It could be a surprise. There are a bunch of yeah. very appalling quotes, so to say, that you could maybe benefit from hearing first live mm-hmm. on air. <laughs> and last thing before we get into it, I just want to thank Remix Maniacs for our new theme song. Oh. You guys will hear it when the episode drops. Oh, it rocks. Oh, I, I was I was just anticipating it <laughs> just now. I was oh like, no no! What is, no. What is I'm, it I'm just editing it now. <laughs> I'm just editing sure. it in after. Cool. Don't worry. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, take us away. Okay, so I mean, we're talking about Voislav Šešelj, who is a very uh, prominent right wing figure, uh, very popular in Serbian nationalist circles. Well in a certain sect of Serbian nationalists. Uh, but a lot of the story that we're going to cover um, takes, part, takes part during the era in which Yugoslavia was still a country. So how much uh, do you know about it? How much of a background do you need me to explain? Uh, because I can go very far back, but I don't think we have all the time in the world. So... Uh, uh... In 1945, in the won the war. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But it was a country even yeah. before then. Okay. So, yeah, that's true. The episode, so there was the kingdom. It so was, was a kingdom, the kingdom yeah. of the South yeah. Slavs. And it was like formed out of Austria-Hungary. And there was Pan-Slavism. Uh, oh, my God. Surely no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we 
but yeah, so U- Yugoslavia actually means South Slavia. Yug is the Serbo-Croatian, and in a lot of Slavic languages, the word for South. Uh, so okay. it was a wait. And, quick, just quick interruption. Sure. Uh, I need you to minimize the fun facts because if you keep doing them, Rose is going to keep like sharing them to me at random times while we're hanging out, and is never going to let me forget that. And then is going to keep acting as though she unearthed it somehow because of her divine of her but you're of her here. amazing research skills you're gonna hear no, them but, no but you don't you don't know her <laughs> yeah, like I, I do. it, it doesn't matter it, it doesn't yeah matter. i can't do that because you'll hear it yeah trust exactly. me i'm never running out of fun facts to share with you. <laughs> uh well either way there are gonna be a bunch of digressions and fun facts here because you're gonna have to understand a lot of context for this to make sense but i've tried to you know uh, keep it down to a minimum, and uh, I wanted to also like preface this by by saying that because a lot of this story will take place during the wars that broke up Yugoslavia, which are very controversial and a very touchy subject. I'm just I'm I'm not going to be able to talk about them in depth. So if anybody is listening to this who knows more about it, just Relax, because I'm not going to have the time to talk about everything Tujman did or Stipe Mesic or uh, Plavšić or uh, even Šešel, not even all of the shitty stuff that Šešel did. There are going to be a bunch of war crimes that I don't even mention, and that's not because they aren't important. It's just because we have to focus on the stuff that have impacted Šešel more directly, which is, yeah because he's such a colorful and controversial person, we're going to be focusing on him, most of all. Well said. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good uh, disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, we think ethnic cleansing is bad. We're just going to put yeah, that out. Not, not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> yeah, I just... Anytime I talk about anything in Europe, I just feel a need to say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, should I should I start talking about our yeah, subject? Let's go. Uh, okay, let's so go. just for some context, like he is still alive. He, sadly, he's he he's still living and breathing, and he has a very um, particular reputation in Serbia and the Balkans and the former Yugoslavia. He's a very he's a capital P personality, which will come to uh, you will really understand that once we get to the Hague part of this, because spoilers, he actually goes to the Hague. He is tried for war crimes at one point. And he's really, he's the Christopher Hitchens of Serbian nationalism. Like he's the master of clapbacks. He insults his interlocutors all the time. <laughs> uh, he's not really, he's not a polite person and he's very good at rhetorics because yeah, he also studied law, which we'll get to and what, at one point. So he's a trained lawyer. Uh, yeah, he's probably most famous for his vulgar quips and contempt of court in the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, uh, because, you know, nothing gets YouTube views like calling the lead prosecutor charging you with crimes against humanity a plucked she-turkey from The Hague. And I kid you not, there are actually like top 10 Sheshil moments compilation videos online. Uh, okay, I was going to ask that. It, I, are, there vid- are there videos with there captions? There are. Uh, I don't th- there aren't many of them with captions. Um, or not but with I, captions, I, but... I, I translated a lot of them. And you know, what? something that's really, you know, also very particular about Sheshil's performances is that he also has a very noticeable, well, if you speak Serbian, he has a very noticeable, uh, what do you call it, speech impediment. And he doesn't care. Like, he's a very good, you know, orator despite that. Well, good. He's a very effective orator. He's a very bad person with a with a bad ideology. But he's a very uh, effective performer, so to say. Are there... Uh, videos on the internet and this is not a joke question i'm actually yeah. fully serious since you said there's compilations videos are the thing are there videos that go around on instagram and twitter and those platforms with captions with captions such as epic hero owns cuck german prosecutor in court oh, Must yeah see. oh yeah totally yeah there are a bunch of memes uh, i mean most of them like especially now that he hasn't really been relevant since he came back from the hague uh less than 10 years ago i think it uh I cover it in the story. I think he came back actually in 2016. Uh, but yeah, he hasn't been really relevant since then. So most memes about him are v- 
veering into like boomer Facebook territory. It's not really something that the kids share. Uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. What? What? Are there are there like are there Facebook chat? Are there Facebook oh, yeah. groups that are just Absolutely. that are just devoted to sharing Absolutely. memes about this guy? Absolutely, there are. Yeah. Do they have? Are there people on Twitter in Serbia who ha- whose profile photo is this guy with laser eyes? Oh. Uh, well, I don't know about the laser eyes. I don't. I don't. Not, I'm not sure about the intersection of you know, uh, based uh, you know Chad Sigma male uh, memers and and Serbian radicals. But yeah, uh, there definitely are fans of his on Twitter. <laughs> uh, his party still exists. Yeah, one thing I found interesting about him yeah. is there's very little about him in the English language media outside of news reports from the Yugoslav wars. Yeah. Because um, it's I'm not gonna... like with Arkan where he like became this yeah. big figure in Western media. Like he very much stayed in Serbia. I guess so. But he does, there will be, um, I did cover some Western media, um, uh, depictions of him so to say because especially before the wars he he visited the u.s a bunch of times he even taught there okay no no more spoilers i'm gonna i'm gonna just start talking about him uh first of all all, uh gabe if you haven't seen him you should definitely google what he looks like because he's a very baron harkonnen-esque figure i looked him up not (laughs) what i expected him to look like also not not quite as short as I imagined him to be. Apparently, he's he is huge. very tall. He's very tall. Yeah. I, for some reason, I looked at his face and I thought to myself, "Like, yeah, you're about five seven. <laughs> no, I, I, I think about half his body me. mass is cancer, though. So <laughs> that's good. Christ. No, no, people, people joke about cancer having him. Uh, <laughs> Fuck, because he's a bad person, yeah. and you can get away with that. <laughs> Yeah. I was going to say, he, usually um, I don't try to make jokes like that, but this guy kind of sucks. I don't really care about, it, stare, it, it, about sucks sparing his feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I saw that his political party used to have a paramilitary wing, I was like, oh boy. Yeah. So, okay. Let's, let's see how that came about. <laughs> so he was born in 1954 in Sarajevo to a Herzegovinian Serb family. So Sarajevo is today the capital of Bosnia and Herzegovina. It was the capital then as well, but it but Bosnia was still a part of Yugoslavia. It was one of the six federal republics. So that's today Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, and Macedonia or Northern Macedonia, if you like NATO. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not sure to what extent this affected his political upbringing. Uh, I mean, you'll get a, a get a, you'll get a sense of that as we go on. But his dad did fight in World War II as one of Tito's communist partisans, uh, while his mom uh, has a very remote, remarkable last name of Misita, uh, and she's related to a famous Chetnik. Chetniks were Yugoslav, oh boy. mostly Serbian royalists uh, and Axis collaborators during World War II. But we'll explain that more in depth as we go on because chetnik is one of those terms that will be making a reappearance uh so yugoslavia was a very multi-ethnic multi-religious society at the time uh and you really have to know that you really need that context because bosnia was the most mixed of all the federal republics in that respect for example Shechel attended two primary schools. The first one was named after Vladimir Nazor, who was a Croatian communist poet. And the second one was called Brotherhood and Unity, which was the motto of the Communist Party of Yugoslavia and the partisan movement. Uh, And yeah, in my knowledge, Bosnia is still the most mixed former republic, right? It is, though the ethnic balance has shifted since Sheshul's birth uh, quite yeah, a lot. Yeah, So he, he quickly took a liking to history and he was a very active guy in terms of extracurriculars. Uh, in an interview I found from 2002, which I will be quoting a lot. So 2002, that's after all the Yugoslav wars, but before he went to The Hague. Uh, so he was being interviewed by a Bosniak uh, journalist. And he says, I often clashed with people, but on a local level. 
even as a high school student, I was a rebel. People know about my rebellions against the high school headmistress, Blanka Popovic, and at the time, president of the municipal youth committee, Baba Yakovlevic. Uh, these clashes were always a matter of principle. I simply did not stand for injustice. In high school, I was first the student body president, then the president of the school youth committee. And I always truly, with the best of intentions, criticized all the negative phenomena I saw in society. Granted, at the time, I was still doing that from a communist standpoint. My problem was that social practice differed so much from proclaimed theory. So um, yeah. I have a question. Sure. How much of that is a lie about him being student body president? Because no, 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 no. I, I, I really think he was. He because yeah, the people we cover love lying. Uh, I, I think Sheshil does as well, but not 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 about stuff like this. Uh, he was a, okay. he's very big on the rhetorics and public performance. He really likes to argue with people, which you know will determine his um, career path as well, which you you'll see soon enough. So when he finished mm -hmm. high school, he enrolled into the Faculty of Law in Sarajevo. And the way things work in the Balkans, at least I'm not sure about the European system uh, as a whole, but uh, there's a specific position uh, for every faculty, which makes up the broader university, which is called the student vice dean. And they're a sort of emissary from the student body to the dean's office and the higher ups in the admin of the of the university and Sheshil became vice dean of course and he continued to make friends with everyone uh, most notably he opposed the election of one Fuad Muhic to the position of dean uh, from that same interview I quote um, I was against his election for a variety of reasons Firstly, because of his moral failures, uh, because he had backed down from his political and theoretical positions under the threat of exclu exclusion from the party, and then later also because he neglected his professorial duties. He was constantly drunk, missed classes, missed exams, etc. He simply did not behave like a university professor in the real sense of the word. Uh, and this might be true. Uh, I mean, this is his... his uh, looking back on that incident. But knowing what I know about who Sheshil will become and the patterns in the story, uh, if you wanted to read any nascent reactionary attitudes into Sheshil's behavior here because of Fuad Muhic clearly being a Muslim, that's a very Muslim name, uh, Fuad. Uh, so I thought Muslims yeah. didn't drink. Do Bosnian Muslims drink? Well, they do. <laughs> a, bunch oh, okay. of Muslim, a bunch of Muslims drink, like especially if you're from Yugoslavia, which was at this point, like between uh, the Second World War and, you know, the war in the 90s, uh, it was a very secular country. You know, you had, especially if you were from one of the bigger towns like like Sarajevo, you, you would probably drink. You would probably be a more secular Muslim. Uh, nowadays, I think there are more of those not not more as as in a majority, but did there a bigger part of Muslims in Bosnia doesn't drink nowadays because you know the radical attitudes have kind of spiked uh, in recent history. Uh, but yeah, uh, a bunch of Muslims drink uh, basically. Oh, okay. It's like well, I think like in Turkey, uh, you can get alcohol. It's more expensive, yeah. but you can. <laughs> uh, yeah. Here, that no, was not the case. Uh, like I've all the like European Muslims I talk to are like, yeah, I totally drink. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you wanted to read any nascent reactionary attitudes into Sheshil's behavior because of Fuad Muhic being a Muslim, uh, I wouldn't hold it against you. I don't know if I'd go that far personally just yet. Uh, but Muhic became dean anyway. Uh, so Sheshil got that black mark on his record for nothing. He just got on the bad side of the other other people in the university for no no reason. There was no real real end goal there. Um, he would then go on an exchange program to West Germany uh, because the Yugoslav passport was very strong um, and complete his four-year undergrad in two years and eight months. Holy uh, shit. Yep. He this guy, so he was obviously intelligent. He's very intelligent, yeah. He's just a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He'd spent some time teaching at colleges in Michigan as well. Uh, however, however, he was unable to Do you to know find, which colleges? Uh, Grand Valley, apparently. 
Okay, uh, no, that's not what that I've heard is. Of. I'm not. I'm not an expert on. I was really hoping it would be Umesh. That would have really because made Ted, happy. because the Unabomber also taught there. <laughs> yes, maybe that they is met. Exactly <laughs> if that was the case, I was, that's exactly what I was hoping no, for. Yes, if that was the case, I was going to ask, and ironically, what is it with? With people who go on to kill civilians going to the University of Michigan specifically. Well, as far yeah, as we know, Sheshin never killed anybody himself. He Wait, really? Have, yeah, he may have supported people who had. He was he's he will actually be the first person to be tried in The Hague who hasn't actually commanded any military units. Oh. Uh but yeah. So after he returned from Michigan, he was unable to find any assistant positions at the Faculty of Law back in Sarajevo. And he inferred that this might have been the result of his antagonizing that guy, Muhic. So he turned to the Faculty of Political Sciences, but then backed away again after learning that a certain professor who would be teaching him, Atif Purivatra, was a friend of his nemesis, Muhic, and also a Muslim, obviously. So instead, he went to Belgrade, the capital, which is today just the capital of Serbia, uh, where he earned his master's uh, with a thesis titled The Marxist Concept of an Armed People. Uh, so yeah, he supports the Second Amendment, obviously. So he then <laughs> pursu pursued a doctorate while on specialization in East Germany this time, and he earned his PhD at the ripe age of 25 with a dissertation titled wow. The Political Essence of Militarism and Fascism. Uh, and that made him the youngest doctor in all of Yugoslavia. Uh, so he wrote The Political Essence of Militarism and Fascism and then later concluded, yeah, maybe those things aren't so bad. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I'm getting. The Marxist concept of an armed people and how to use it to break apart a country. Um, yeah. Well, it's we're giving him too much credit. He didn't, he didn't really orchestrate the, the, the solution of Yugoslavia, but yeah, he was there. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like we're not going to solve what happened no, in no, the breakup it's, of Yugoslavia. It's much more, it's much more complicated minutes. than just this one <laughs> asshole. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so after school, after uh, earning his PhD, he finished his mandatory military service. Uh, it's not mandatory in any of the republics, I think, anymore, but it used to be then. So he returned to academia, but then he felt like certain professors just kept impeding his career. Uh, in his book, uh, which is translated as A Campaign Against a Heretic, which I don't think really does justice to the original title, which is Haika Nayaretika, and Haika... That's that's kind of like a hunting party. Like he he felt persecuted. Uh, apparently, he's the heretic. He's the titular heretic. Um, okay. okay, so he explains the 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 origins of this conflict, this incident, uh, in a 1981 article that's quoted there. Um, and the explanation is very long-winded. Even if I translated all of it, it's a bunch of ideological mumbo-jumbo, and it would take too long to read on a podcast. You don't have the audience for that yet. But uh, basically, he accuses... I admire your audience. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I, I've got your back. I think our viewer would really enjoy <laughs> What about Pedro? <laughs> hey, one day, maybe we can be the 100th most popular educational podcast maybe. in Spain. <laughs> so essentially what happens uh, around this time, which is the early 80s, he accuses professors such as Muhammad Filipovic, Atif Purivatra, and Hassan Sushic of, quote, expressing a tendency that indisputably exists in our social thought, however limited and marginal its influence may be, and which attempts to, under the guise of Marxism, furtively grant a halo of legality and revolution to an ideology that is at its core reactionary and based on pan-Islamism. And he is, Holy of, course, shit. He is of course, talking about Gaddafi's Green Book, and these professors' takes on it, uh, which probable they, future episode topic, Muhammad. Uh, also, also something I find real. I'm sorry to cut you guys off, but something I find really interesting here is I've noticed this constant thread across countries and across cultures of of kind of framing college campuses as the battlegrounds of this sort of larger culture slash ideological war. Very interesting observation. <laughs> Well, yeah, Sorry, I guess it is. Kind of, like, well, it is. That's reactionary Yugoslav grand, yeah, reactionary so. Yugoslav grandfathers in the eighties, just like 
learning about the woke leftists no. at the University of Sarajevo? Kinda. So what happened? SJW in Sarajevo <laughs> gets owned in three paragraphs. No, these they these didn't have YouTube back then, so they had to like write newspaper op-eds. Yeah, these professors. Uh, I guess they gave some lectures on Gaddafi's Green Book, which had just come out. And that should be an episode on its own, like you said, because, you know, Gaddafi tried to synthesize this, uh, I guess, like fusion between uh, Marxism and Islam. And Sheshil uh, took offense to that, apparently, because, you know, he tried to, I guess... He's like he said earlier in that interview, he's still critiquing stuff from a standpoint of communism. So you could say that he's actually arguing in good faith and that he's maybe uh, trying to say that they're uh, undermining the Yugoslav project by trying to bring, you know, religion into this and, you know, define their own national identity within the Yugoslav national identity because that is one of the main fears that he has, which we'll explain soon enough. Uh, Or you could say that he's trying to couch his own intolerance of these professors as a critique of their being double agents or like the fifth column based on their being, uh, based on their identity politics just because they're muslims essentially um okay so as you might imagine it's around this time that he falls into with some underground nationalist free thinker types uh i'm not sure about the details whom he exactly met and when but i think we can safely assume that the stuff he's written around this time was kind of like a signal flare that he was safe to approach like yeah i'm, I'm kind of I, i'm vibing with the right wing right now <laughs> uh that's my assumption i guess yeah. so his next squabble will prove to be the one that seals the deal and his reputation as a dissident in socialist yugoslavia uh, because you know when you're a political dissident whatever regime you might be fighting uh you're trying to earn clout. That's like the whole game. You're trying to get eyes on you and, you know, uh, just draw support to yourself being the victim and the regime being oppressive. And the, the uh, best way to European do that is... To, oh, okay. Yeah, the best way to do that is to get thrown in jail, uh, which yeah. you will do. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say the European Enlightenment began in the coffee shops and um, the end of European liberalism will begin at universities. Very well put. Yeah. So before we move on to that uh, seminal conflict, I need to explain some of the historical context for this, like because it informs uh, Sheshe's ideology and a bunch of other people's as well. So we have to talk about Bosniaks as a nation. Today, that's the word we use to refer to the largely Muslim population of Bosnia. Uh, and it's different to the term Bosnian because Bosnian can refer to any inhabitant of Bosnia, whether they're a Serb, a Croat, or a Bosniak, which are the majority now. Um, so it would take way too long to get into all the details. I'm, you know, I uh, forgive me if any Bosniaks are listening. I have to uh, omit certain parts, but their nationhood was crucially tied to the Serbian and Croatian national projects in the 19th century. So. Up until the 19th century, a lot of the Balkans, a lot of the what will become Yugoslavia later, was uh, dominated by two empires: the Ottomans, the Ottoman Turks on one side, and uh, the Austro-Hungarian Habsburg Empire on the other side. So, unlike some other parts of the world, the nation-building process here. Uh, has very strong ties to religion because oftentimes during the 19th century you would see these Bosnian and even Serbian and Croatian Muslims referred to simply as Turks. Uh, even if they spoke spoke a South Slavic language natively and they never visited Turkey proper, nobody, nobody in their family came from there, they would still be referred to as Turks because they were Muslims. Uh, and it might sound confusing, but it's important to note that religion had a very distinct dimension back then, especially in the Ottoman Empire. Because if you converted to Islam, that would exempt you from certain taxes that the Christians had to pay, and even the notorious blood tax, or Devshirma, which saw thousands upon thousands of Christian children taken away to Constantinople at a very young age to be raised as janissaries, as soldiers, basically. Uh, Some of them even entered into politics later. That was an option. That's why a lot of Turks nowadays 
like to paint that as a good thing. Like we're helping you climb the social ladder and also you're, you're never going to see your family again. Um, so it goes without saying. So like if you convert it to Islam, th that also had this sense of buying into the Ottoman state. You're declaring yourself to have a stake in the empire. That's your country now. Uh, and it goes without saying that once the national revolutions in the Balkans started firing up, like the Greek uh, uprising, the Serbian uprisings later, uh, if you're a Balkan Muslim, you stood to lose a lot. Uh, and after the wars of independence mostly ended in the late 19th century, the Serbian and Croatian bourgeoisies were who were engaged in their own philosophizing and theorizing about what their respective nation states should be and what territories ought to belong to them, uh, they began conceiving of Bosnian Muslims as Islamized Serbs and Croats, which, you know, can be argued, fair enough, if you believe that the Serbian and Croatian identities preceded this era in some substantial way in which a Bosnian identity did not. Uh, bottom line, they had a vested interest in preventing a separate Bosniak identity from developing. So eventually, after World War I ended, um, the name of the newly formed country reflected who was thought to be a real ethnicity, quote unquote, and who wasn't. So the country was first called the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes. So none of those Macedonians, Montenegrins, Bosnians, that's not a thing. Uh, it was only renamed into Yugoslavia a decade or so later. Uh, we can skip the first half of the 20th century. It's not very relevant. Not much changed in terms of uh, formal or administrative recognition of Bosnians, or Bosniaks, I should say. Uh, we'll pick things up from after World War II. Uh, I'm going to read a paragraph straight from Wikipedia, but it's the most concise account of what changed in that short time. So, uh, quote, during the socialist Yugoslav period, the Muslims continued to be treated as a religious group instead of an ethnic group. In the 1948 census, Bosnia and Herzegovina's Muslims had three options in the census, Serb Muslim, Croat Muslim, and ethnically undeclared Muslim. In the 1953 census, the category Yugoslav, ethnically undeclared, was introduced, and the overwhelming majority of those who declared themselves as such were Muslims. Aleksandar Ankovic, who was like the leader of the Yugoslav KGB, that's basically his role, and other Serb communist members opposed the recognition of Bosnian Muslim nationality. Uh, Muslim members of the Communist Party continued in their efforts to get Tito to support their position for recognition. Uh, for the uninitiated, Tito was the lifelong president of Yugoslavia until he died in 1980. Um, the Bosnian Muslims were recognized as an ethnic group in 1961, but not as a nationality. And in 1964, the Fourth Congress of the Bosnian Party assured the Bosnian Muslims the right to self-determination. On that occasion, one of the leading communist leaders, Rodolub Šolaković, stated that our Muslim brothers were equal with Serbs and Croats, and they would not be forced to declare themselves as Serbs and Croats. Um, okay, so sorry for that history lesson, but I promise it's going to get a lot crazier from now on. Um, just one last quote on that um, on that topic, uh, Josip Broz Tito, the president, uh, the like, who had a whole cult of personality and still has to to some extent around him, he said on the topic, people should be allowed to be nationally undefined citizens of Yugoslavia if they so wish, whether that man is a Bosnian or a Herzegovinian. On the outside, people refer to you as Bosnians anyway, whether you're a Muslim, a Serb, or a Croat. And I, I really like that quote because you can read it both ways. Uh, whether you think that Bosniaks should be a nationality or not. Because he says people should be allowed to be Yugoslavs of undefined nationality and then proposes Bosnian and Herzegovinian be added to the census clearly in the sense of I'm a Yugoslav from the geographic region of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, but then in the last part of the quote, he says uh, he uses Muslim as distinct identity from Serb and Croat, which are undisputedly national identities. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of ambiguous. Um, I hope that this put 
Shesh's protestations against those Muslim academics in another light slightly. And I'm going to read another quote of his from that interview later. Uh, and let me remind you, the guy interviewing him is a Bosniak. He is a Muslim. So he says, Mr. Shesh, I'm the, under the impression that Serbian nationalists hate yet respect Croats, whereas the situation is different with Bosniaks. They despise them and do not accept their being a nation. What do you think about that? Well, we'd, ha we'd have to clear a few things up here. What are Bosniaks? If we're talking about three different peoples here, we're talking about Serbs, Croats, and Muslims. Bosniak is the new nomenclature. I think it's not quite apt since I'm a Bosniak too. I was born in Bosnia. My mother and father are from there, as are their parents and their parents' parents. How come you can be a Bosniak and I can't? And the interviewer says, you can too. And she says, well, then they're <laughs> Bosniaks. But that's a regional distinction. As far as Muslims as a nation are concerned, I contest their nationhood as a sociologist and scientist. What are Muslims? Those are Serbs whose ancestors switched from the Orthodox Christian to the Islamic faith, some centuries, others 50 years ago. They retain the Serbian language, many Serbian customs, and many of them a Serbian national consciousness. Those are historical facts, but I would not dare force someone who thinks or claims that they are not a Serb to be one. I think it's so beautiful to be a part of the Serbian nation that it would be offensive to force someone into being part of it if they don't want to. And I need you to remember that last phrase because it's a surprise tool that we'll use later <laughs> against. Yeah, I um, <laughs> um, not forcing people to be part of the Serbian nation um, seems like a thing um, that you might go back on. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, Small spoiler here, but he will actually later in The Hague say the complete opposite thing. <laughs> also, yeah. um, something, I, a note for our listeners, um, saying um, they shouldn't be part of us if they don't want to has often been used as a justification for ethnic violence and separation by saying, well, it's not us. They don't want to be part of us. They can be part of their own people, just not us. They can stay here if they assimilate, but they don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I do uh, wonder. So like... I know there's Muslims in Serbia. Do they consider they, themselves Bosniaks? Actually, or do they consider themselves weirdly, well, weirdly, maybe counterintuitively, but yes, there are a lot of Muslims in Western Serbia and the part of Serbia that we call Sanjak or Raška. But yeah, uh, ever since the Bosniak nomenclature, as Šešelj puts it, uh, took off in Bosnia proper, they've actually started declaring themselves Bosniaks as well. Even though... A lot, like some of them don't even have ties to Bosnia as a region. Like they're not from there. Their families aren't from there. A lot of them are actually uh, provably of Albanian origin, for example. But they've become Slavicized over the over the decades, over the centuries. And now that they are like Slavicized Muslims, they declare themselves as Bosniaks as well, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, they're they're one of the one of the bigger parties in Serbia nowadays is uh, their uh, representative party, so to say. Yeah, I, uh, but, I feel like when people here talk about the, the breakup of Yugoslavia and the Yugoslav Wars, we frame it as exclusively an ethnic thing. But from reading parts of your script, yeah. it seems like there's much more of a religious dimension than I previously thought. Well, it's also because the ethnic identity has been, uh, for better or worse, tied to religion, like I explained earlier. Uh, some yeah. of, some, sometimes even the nationalists themselves try to distance themselves from it. Like, for example, a lot of uh, Serbian nationalists, Sheshe will actually mention that later. Uh, think that Dalmatia, which is nowadays southern Croatia, even though if you're a Dalmatian, you hate to be called southern Croatian. You're Dalmatian, you know. A lot, a lot of Serbian nationalists think that Dalmatia was supposed to be theirs, was supposed to be part of Serbia because the religion there doesn't matter, even though everybody there is Catholic. You can be Serbian Catholic, but that comes later. You know, when when the nation building processes were going on, you were definitely going to be like, no, you have to be Orthodox to be a Serbian. An interesting tidbit about this interview that I'm going to quote a lot because it 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 touches on a lot of the. Uh, 
funny funny parts of Shesh's life uh, before he went to the Hague. So the journalist who interviewed him. What was, a sentence! <laughs> yeah, he the journalist was a Bosniak, and he before uh, he interviewed uh, Shechel in Serbia, but uh, that was in 2002, so the borders were still kind of fresh, and he was held up at the border and kind of interrogated by police. Uh, about the questions he was going to ask Sheshil and stuff like that, because, you know, Sheshil had connections everywhere at the time. And uh, when he uh, when they met, Sheshil remarked that the last time he gave an interview for this paper under a slightly different name at the time, uh, the name of the paper changed, not Sheshil's name, obviously, was in 1991, and that it ended with him punching out two of the journalists and getting his head smashed by a chair wielded by the third. So... Uh, interesting. That, that is, yeah. That he is a big guy, so it does seem like it would take three people to take him down. Yeah, <laughs> and he he probably d- isn't afraid of sucker punching either. So <laughs> I don't know yeah, why, he... but I can't get back past the fact that of how tall he is. He is six five. Just yeah. looking at his photo, I expected him to be short. A no, lot of huge. like Serbian people are pretty tall, especially. Like, from, have you seen their basketball teams? Yeah, and a bunch of that. That to be fair, it's basketball though. That's not representative of the general population. Exactly. Okay, but, but that means they have a lot of tall people. And especially like uh, Balkan people are very tall, especially from the Western Balkans, and especially from the region where Shesh's family is from, the Herzegovina Dinaric Alps, the mountains. Uh, there, they they breed a lot of tall people. Uh, but yeah, so essentially, Sheshel was accusing those uh, professors of being a fifth column. Um, so was he imagining things, uh, rationalizing retroactively in this interview, or was he looking for a way to climb the ladder, ladder, or you know, gain clout when he accused of these professors of being pan- pan-Islamists? Well, uh, I'm not really sure about those three men in particular. I know next to nothing about their personal beliefs, uh, but his fears weren't entirely unfounded, so to say. Uh, Alia Izetbegovic, who would become the first president of an independent Bosnia later, um, actually verifiably was the pan-Islamist that people like Sheshil were afraid of. For example, in 1983, Izetbegovic and some of his followers were convicted of Muslim nationalism and of disrupting the public peace, undermining socialism, and Izetbegovic was sentenced to 14 years of prison, of which he would serve only five. Uh, I think you will notice that... um, through line throughout this story uh nationalists get their sentences commuted a lot which i think was a bad move on the part of the yugoslav yeah they uh (laughs) i i just (laughs) you saw what i posted in the chat right no it's uh oh better a room full of serbian nationalists who love you than a room full of reactionary pan-islamist sharks hungry as fuck yeah (laughs) anyway uh these currents did exist in society to a certain extent at least and the party whose official line was brotherhood and unity was playing whack-a-mole with them, just like with other nationalist cells, like the Croats and the Serbs. Um, so earlier, when I quoted Tito about the Bosnian identity, he wasn't talking to himself. That was taken from a conversation that he had with Hamdia Pozderac, who was at the time president of the presidency of the Federal Republic of Bosnia-Herzegovina. So, Wait, president they, of the yeah, presidency? Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I know how, oh how that sounds. Here we go. No, it, I don't need to explain the, the, the entire political system here. So after, I think, 1974, uh, Yugoslavia had this presidential system where they had presidents of each republic and sometimes you would only have like in the later years there would only be nine of them total uh but earlier there there would be like 24 of them total i think whatever so each of the presidencies of the republics uh then made up the presidency of the entire country it was very kind of like what bosnia has now (laughs) <laughs> uh weirdly yes but also they they have like a a, a nato backed viceroy who can do whatever he wants as well yeah, uh, we, but yeah so we might need to do an episode where we just like explain the bosnian political sure. system because i find it fascinating <laughs> Uh, so this guy Hamdi Apuzdera, just think of him as like the shot caller in 
Bosnia as a republic. Um, so this guy and the guy who would later succeed him on that position, Branko Mikulic, uh, they become very important at this particular section of the story because they're the next ones to enter into Sheshu's crosshairs. Uh, so what happens is this guy named Nenad Kitsmanovic, who's not very important, he writes a series of articles in a newspaper called Nin, which is like the a very uh it's nin actually it's a very serious political journal uh i wasn't able to track down his articles but from what i can tell from secondary sources they're written from a standpoint of what you would call serbian unitarism so they at least low-key advocated for a larger serbian republic within yugoslavia obviously at the expense of bosnia and its federal status um and they opposed recent moves to recognize Muslim as a nationality because that would be a step towards Bosnia being seen as their homeland. Like Serbia is for the Serbs and Croatia is for the Croats. Now Muslims have their own kind of like national homeland, which they didn't like because they're also a bunch of Croats and Serbs who live in Bosnia. Uh, so this garners the attention of the Central Committee. Uh, and like the eye of Sauron, they they like <laughs> they just focus on this one guy, and they reprimand him for this outburst of nationalism. Uh, and both Kitsmanovic and Sheshil, at the time, they work at the Sarajevo Faculty of Political Sciences, and Sheshil uses this opportunity to gain some clout, so he jumps to uh, Kitsmanovic's defense and draws the ire to himself. So, so uh, it seems like now he's switched. From being more of like a communist Yugoslavia defender, definitely, yeah, to more to more of a Serbian national. Yeah, probably like in this period, that's where he kind of changes ideologies or just starts sliding more to the right. So, did he ever talk about like why he did that, or was it just you know? Well, I, I think he, I think you can glean that from what what he'll say in in this next section. Uh, and in his later interviews, which I will quote. Okay. So his yeah. Wikipedia page lists these as separate conflicts, but I think it's clear from that same interview that Sheshel was deliberately strategically doing this next move as part of the so-called Kitsmanovic affair. So, quote, okay. what do you think of Brano Miljush today? And Sheshil says, I didn't really have an opinion of Brano Miljush even back then. I couldn't really do anything to him at the time. He was an apparatchik doing his job. It just so happened that in that moment, he came in very handy for me to use him to start up this affair about a plagiarism in his master's dissertation because his mentor was Hamdi Apozderac. For me, that was a way of helping out Nenad Kitsmanovic, against whom an entire avalanche of accusations was levied due to his writings in the Belgradian Nin. So I tried to strike a balance by going directly after Hamdi Apozderac, which Hamdi understood. Uh, the consequences of the move were such that the campaign against Kitsmanovic subsided and everything was directed against me instead. So to clarify... So he stole his clout, basically. Exactly. So <laughs> what happened? What exactly happened? Sheshel trawled through this guy, Milush, uh, his master thesis. And Milush was a protege of sorts of the two guys that I mentioned earlier, the shot callers in Bosnia. And Sheshel accused their boy of plagiarizing more than 40 pages of his thesis from published works by Marx and Edvard Kardel, who was at, who was who used to be Tito's right-hand man. He was this Slovene Marxist theoretician. Um, so this resulted in the faculty being divided between Sheshel and Pozderet's sides. And that was a power struggle that Sheshel would not come out of triumphant. He was expelled from Seems the like college. that's happening a lot. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, he'll start winning. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, this guy doesn't seem... I think maybe there. I should worry. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you should, actually. Although, I mean, if he just kept taking L's, he would kind of be the Serbian Byron Looper, this guy who thinks he does the glory <laughs> and then just keeps losing. No, he's like, he's going for a slingshot effect. He's like taking L's so much that it catapults him to the to the stars sort of yeah so he's, he's an all my losses was lessons guy <laughs> yeah so he was expelled from the communist league which was what the yugoslav communist party was going by uh, after 1952 for reasons we don't have to get into so he was expelled in december of 1981 he continued his work of course but this time he actually was 
sidelined by everyone. Uh, he kept being relegated to smaller, less important posts. Uh, the thing was that Pozderac and his faction were succeeding in strengthening Bosnia's position as a federal unit on par with Serbia and Croatia. And the Serbian nationalists such as Šešelj started feeling Bosnia slip out of their fingers and try to fight back on whatever front they could. And Pozderac was positioning himself as the guy that everything... Um, when it came to Bosnian affairs, that everything goes through him. So he'd use his position to protect certain people that the state security agency might usually have cracked down on. Uh, and he also throws them a bone with some more far-out radicals, such as Ali Izetbegovic's group that we mentioned earlier, the Muslim nationalists. So Sheshil would go much the same way as Alia. Um, after his latest outburst, he was constantly tailed by state security agents. Uh, and during the Sarajevo Winter Olympics in 1984, literally 1984, uh, <laughs> they'd corner him in a train and rifle through his suitcases and the writings that he had in them. And they took him to Belgrade and questioned him for 27 hours before releasing him and arresting him again on two separate occasions, like the weirdest sports fisherman ever. Uh, so according what to were Sheshel, they arresting him for? Uh, well, you know, the usual suspicions of... Uh, disturbing the public peace and, you know, uh, subversive activities, stuff like that. So according to Sheshel, they had transcripts of various conversations that he had with close friends and were trying to get him to implicate them in order to be able to have an, another group trial of Serbs to strike an ethnic balance after convincing the Muslim, uh, after convicting the Muslim nationalists uh, led by Izebegovic. So that's his take on it, on the situation. They were and trying it, to engineer another affair. Bosnia, uh, right? Yeah. Sorry? Izebegovic it, later became the president of Bosnia, right? He did. He's the first president of yeah. independent Bosnia, the, the pan-Islamist himself. And his son was later the president as well, because that's how things work in the Balkans. Um, so... A while later, they'd arrest him again uh, for attending a secret <laughs> lecture at Milovan Gilas's free university. So for context, Milovan Gilas used to be Tito's left-hand man, uh, if we can say it like that. Uh, and then he became a dissident after he critiqued some of the party officials and their wives, actually, uh, in a paper that he was in charge of. Uh, he, he, was, he came at them from more like a sock them, them sock kind of perspective. Uh, and he got kicked out of the party as well. Uh, so, and then he started having these lectures, these secret lectures, which he called the Free University, this clandestine thing. Uh, and this is a weird and controversial event because the police went in and arrested 28 people. One of them died under unresolved circumstances. Uh, hmm. Six went on a, uh, a highly publicized trial. Uh, Sheshel was in prison for four days uh, before being released, but he wouldn't even last a month on the outside. This is when things kick off. So as a couple of weeks later, the Slovene member of the Yugoslav presidency, a guy named Stane Dolans, uh, he goes, uh, I uh, literally can't explain this. This is, he's such a, an incompetent guy, <laughs> this, this Dolan's guy, which I, I will talk about later. But he goes on live TV to talk about the 40th anniversary of the state security agency. It's like <laughs> the anniversary of the KGB. Like, why are you? <laughs> sure. Okay, cool. Uh, and one 40 years of happy marriage. Yeah. So one thing leads to another and he touches on recent events. Uh, in this interview, and the trial of the six, which is very publicized, and then uses that opportunity to condemn an unpublished manuscript that the secret police found in Sheshit's home. Like this was this was a manuscript that nobody had read. But I guess so. There was maybe, no point in condemning this. Yeah, this but totally like pointless. maybe maybe he was trying to get in front of it. Kind of like I don't know, but he just gave him <laughs> free publicity. So wh from what I can tell, this Dolan's guy, he he was a very clumsy guy. So much of his career was spent focusing on the problem of the resurgent nationalism in Yugoslavia. And every time he tried to crack down on it, he was extremely heavy handed. He once described himself sort of as the last Titoist. Um, sort of yeah. the Elmer Fudd of Yugoslavian socialism. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. 
So supposedly once a journalist at a press conference made a loud joke at his expense and he got fired over it. And the media in Belgrade never liked Dolans after that. So uh, he was notorious for ordering hits on various nationalist emigres. And there were rumors of his personally protecting one potential state security agent known as Arkan. Uh, yeah. Uh... So, yeah, for yeah, I guess Rose knows. That went badly for him. Leader. Yeah, <laughs> Arka uh, will become a very famous paramilitary uh, leader and war cl- criminal later in the '90s, and he was rumored to have been a state security agent before that. Um, so Dolans also what? played an important role during the final years of Tito's rule, and made many would say that he fumbled a lot of important turning points, such as the clashes with the Croatian nationalist Maspok movement at the time, and the purge of Serbian liberals, which happened, uh, and the unrest in Kosovo in 1981, when, where he managed to earn the ire of both the Albanian and the Serbian sides. Um, That's impressive. In, yeah. In her memoir, uh, Jovanka Broz, who was Tito's last and most beloved wife, uh, she stated that she considered Dolans to be one of those who are most to blame for the breakup of this country and accused him of being a German spy. Uh, yeah, cool. So. Sounds like he might be a future episode, too. Uh, maybe not. He's not that interesting, I don't think. So uh, what, what's happening right now is the Communist League is trisand affecting themselves into oblivion. Uh, Sheshel is sentenced to eight years for his anarcho-liberal and nationalist tendencies and the crime of counter-revolutionary uh, endangerment of the social order. Uh, yeah, he would get a fuck ton of clout in Yugoslavia for going to prison, and he started a hunger strike, which would even get the eyes of the foreign press on him. Uh, Sorry, so- I was just struck with, like the similarity of how that happens in rap music and then some weird Serbian nationalist guy doing a Hamilton style thing about him. That would be a very, I, I, I wouldn't say that I would like to see that musical, but I would <laughs> definitely see that musical. If it came out. Um, I, was it you who sent me the Bandera hip hop? Uh, no, I think that was somebody else on the discord. Um, anyway, okay. Because that, that might be my favorite thing ever. What do you uh, think right wing ship posters did before the internet? Do you think they would just like be do you think they would just like put things in newspaper op eds being like, look, I rewrote Don Quixote but without the libs? I'm not sure how what? to answer that. <laughs> I, what? I'm so I don't know. What? I'm so confused. No, I'm yeah. just saying. So now we have all these. What liberalism is present in Don Quixote to you? I'm not saying it is, but I'm no, saying they would. Think they, they would see them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or do you think they would have? Or do you think they would have? Like, um, I'm trying to think of some uh, timely stories from this era. Do you think they would have? Um, I don't know. Do you think they would? Okay, uh, okay so I got one. Um, no, I got one. Nothing uh, happened like in the spa- 80s. Spanish geezers getting really mad about Bartolome de las Casas calling him too woke. Oh, that that happens actually. That happens in real life. They actually do. Oh my god! <laughs> so oh anyway, god. Uh, so I couldn't verify this piece of info, even even though it is on Wikipedia. So whatever, but it sounds very interesting. Uh, he. From the start of his prison sentence, he informed the prison officials of his refusal to do any labor, reasoning that since jailed communists didn't have to do prison labor in the pre-World War II capitalist Yugoslavia, I too, as someone espousing anti-communist ideology, refused to do labor in a communist prison. Cool. Uh, Taking a stand for his ideals, I guess. Uh, His hunger strike. just like the IRA. Just like the I, that probably inspired him, ironically. So yeah. his hunger strike, coupled with a lot of public outcry and official appeals, would get his sentence commuted to six, then four, then finally two years. And ironically, Dolenz is the one who grants him amnesty. Uh, Man, yeah. what is it with this guy? He's just a fucking idiot, from- apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps promoting Serbian nationalism. And you he's supposedly the guy. Who, yeah, he's supposedly the guy who's like. <laughs> who cracks down on nationalism every every chance he gets. <laughs> it, if you have him to thank for both Shesha and Arkan, like that's 
Maybe. Already, like a <laughs> Why percentage is he of able it. To, how is he able to stick around? Does he have like dirt on people? Because if he's failing this much, I, I have trouble seeing what he brings to the table. Uh, well, I, I, a lot. It's not like exactly. It's not direct democracy that gets these people elected. So once you're there, you kind of stick around. And I don't think he he didn't stick around. Like he was also very old when he got into politics. He was a very late bloomer, so to say. And he occupied a lot of different uh, positions before becoming president of Slovenia, basically. Uh, but yeah. Anyway. Later that decade, uh, Pozderac, the Bosnian official that I mentioned earlier, uh, Pozderac himself would go down for corruption. And Sheshel wrote him a letter saying that if he ever ended up in prison and went on a hunger strike, he should drink enough fluids to keep the kidneys going and he should try getting top bunk just in case. Uh, very what? cheeky. Yeah, I don't know what that's a reference to. Prison rape, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I... <laughs> adding up bunk like what yeah i, I feel understand. like if someone i feel like couldn't someone just still like climb to the top bunk if they wanted to attack you yeah i think if you're a rapist <laughs> height or doesn't like, really stop you <laughs> or if you're just or not even yeah. rapist, just if you're just like i don't know just somebody who's looking to smash someone's skull in i don't think you're gonna say oh crap on the top bunk well best <laughs> better come back tomorrow yeah anyway that All was right. I, you know uh, trademark sh- trademark Sheshel humor like i i lived bitch basically <laughs> i got out of jail good luck <laughs> <laughs> um so in 1989 as things in the country are heating up Sheshel goes to america actually uh, and it's a sort of pilgrimage for him because he went there with the goal of meeting up with one Momchilo Jewich, uh, who is oh one boy. of the foremost Chetnik leaders during World War II, who had been living exiled in California for the past 40 odd years. Uh, and I, I have to uh, make another short digression into history to explain what the Chetniks are. Uh, so the Chetniks were like after... Uh, the Axis invaded Yugoslavia in uh, 1941. Uh, the Chetniks were officially, like, they were the remnants of the official Yugoslav army. Uh, and they were very hetero- heterogeneous, uh, heterodox as well. But they they also kind of, officially they were royalists because they were fighting on behalf of the exiled monarch. Uh, and after the communists joined the fray as well, a lot of the time the Chetniks would find themselves collaborating with the Germans and the Italians to fight back against the communists. So they're not good guys. Uh, there are a bunch of atrocities uh, ascribed to them, especially to this guy, Momchilo Jujic, who went on to live in California, apparently. He, uh, he, you know, escaped after World War II, presumably, with some outside help. Uh, and yeah, so... They take their name. So they, those, the World War II Chetniks, they aren't the original Chetniks. Uh, Chetniks used to be like while southern Serbia, uh, Kosovo, and Macedonia, while well, they were still part of the Ottoman Empire, uh, Chetniks were these guerrilla fighters, especially the ones who favored the Serbian side. Uh, so when these guys in, during World War II became uh, guerrilla fighters, they took their name from from that sort of movement uh and also they loved having this title of voivoda and voivoda you've probably heard the word before sometimes it's anglicized as voivod or something like that for example dracula was a voivod even though he was from romania not from officially a slavic country uh but that's a slavic title it it exists in a bunch of countries like for example today the word duke if i had to translate it into serbian i would say voivoda but that's not what it means to the chetniks it's not like a landed title it's not aristocracy or anything it's like a military commander it literally means war leader voivoda uh so yeah that was a a, a kind of rank that the Chetniks used. And Jujic was a Chetnik voivoda. And when Sheshel went to California to meet him, uh, Jujic bestowed the title of voivoda on Sheshel. And he did so on the 28th of June, 1989. And that is a very symbolic date. Uh, the 28th of June is what's celebrated as St. Vita's Day in Serbian Orthodoxy. That's also the day that the Battle of Kosovo, which is w- very important in Serbian uh, tradition, took place in 1389. So like s- exactly 600 years to the day 
uh, of Sheshil's voivodeship, I guess. Um, that's also the day when Gavrilo Princip shot Franz Ferdinand, and according to some, started World War Two, World War One. Pardon me. Um, yeah, so it's a very symbolic. I don't know if it's date. fair to blame him for that. No, but a lot of people do, nonetheless. So. Yeah. It's a very it's a very symbolic date, especially because of that Kosovo thing, which especially at this time when nationalism is on the rise, uh, the Kosovo battle and the mythology surrounding it will become very prominent in Serbian nationalist circles. So yeah, Šešel knew what he was doing. He knew that this would be very impactful, that this would give him clout with the right people this time. Uh, so, so this seems yeah. like a to cut it because we've been going for an hour and I see we're only like halfway through the script. Sure. So I, I just wanted cut to, it here and yeah, I think parts. this is where I, I also thought that we could cut the story in half just to cap okay. things off. Jewish gave Sheshel the task to expel all Croats, Albanians and other foreign elements from holy Serbian soil, adding that he would return to Serbia only when Sheshel succeeded in cleansing Serbia of the last Jew, Albanian and Croat, which is like, I don't think Sheshel was even thinking about the Jews. He was like, yeah, he just decided to, you know, add that as a cherry on top. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, he was a Chetnik leader during World War II. He couldn't yeah. not get about that. Yeah, I guess so. So, yeah, I think this is a good a good place to cut it as well. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to look into like where all the like Croatian and Ser- where the like Ustasha and Chetnik fascists went after World War II. A bunch That'll of them went went to Australia, Australia bizarrely. Uh, yeah, that no, that makes perfect sense. Actually. Somebody told me uh, an Australian guy on Discord once told me that. Uh, one time they got into like a Serbian nationalist football club so, or soccer club, I guess, and a Croatian nationalist <laughs> soccer club. They got into a fight and that Australia then banned any any like sports organizations that are based on a national identity. Uh, yeah. Wow. All right. Well, I promise yeah. you, uh, I, I had to give a lot of historical context here. But I promise you the next part, the second part, is a lot more intense and a lot funnier. And there's a lot fewer historical details that I have to include. Okay, good. I stopped listening at about 2.30. I understand you, but I also <laughs> – I, I have to. I have to say it. Otherwise, it wouldn't All make right. sense. So I think what we're going to do is cut it here, and then we're going to record part two now. But sure. We'll release it next week. So, yeah. listener, we shall see you guys next week. And for us in about three minutes. Yeah. See you then. See ya. Oh, uh, Gavrilo, do you want to plug anything before we go? Not at all. I, I don't have any any podcasts or anything. <laughs> I can okay. plug my letterboxed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. Sure. It's uh, Burek au fromage. It's like omelette du fromage, like from Dexter. Yeah, that's the reference. But Burek is a <laughs> dish that I enjoy. So, cool. All right. So, yeah, follow us on Twitter at ApposedPod. Email us at runningonopposedpod at gmail.com. And listener, uh Get your strong alcohol ready. Uh, Crank up that turbo folk because we're staying in Serbia.